around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. The new Star Trek of the moment are short trek Star Treks, Ben. They are. That's what we get. We got two short treks for the price of one this week. We are both super time crunched. We're recording this in the run up to the holidays. Uh, I guess we're releasing it in the run up to the holidays too, so that's that's not news to anyone. But uh, but yeah, yeah. But the show's so evergreen; it's yeah. gonna live forever. It is. It is. You know, all of the time of the holidays. As small business owners, we have to uh, we have to cover weeks that we aren't actually going to be working by just working twice as much on the weeks that we are working. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's been life for basically all of December for us. Yeah. It makes me wonder if the reason why there were two Short Treks episodes happening now, like on, on a single day, is because they moved up the release schedule of Star Trek Picard. You think that's why? I don't know. Like, they're also really short. I think that the girl who made the stars is the shortest ever canonical Star Trek episode. Oh, wow. So they're getting shorter. They're just, they're getting shorter. They're asymptotically approaching zero minutes and zero seconds. And that will be the shortest trek of all, Adam. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like that TNG episode, Remember Me. Like, eventually <laughs> we'll be looking at Memory Alpha and all it will have is short treks on it. <laughs> and it will have no record of any other Star Trek yeah. property ever existing. I'll be like, why did people like this enough to make an entire wiki about it? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know, that's very related to how I'm feeling in December. Like, I can't see outside of December as uh-huh. if no other time exists to me. We were talking about some some like long term planning stuff this morning, and I could I could hear you just shutting down emotionally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're uh, you're my doctor Quace. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Like you're my anchor into the now. Your wife comes home and asks you what you did all day, and you're like, "I recorded my Star Trek podcast with my friend Ben," and she's like, "Adam, we've we've talked about this. Star Trek doesn't exist. Ben doesn't exist. Nobody here. All that exists is your financial paperwork over the last few years, so that we can move." <laughs> yeah, this is another weird thing about being business partners is that. Uh, like when you have have a uh, like a home loan thing that to do with a bank or when I do, uh, we have to get each other's permission to share our entire fi- like company financial record with some financial institution. It's so great. Like that's that's the least of my issues at the moment. Like I I I don't care that you know any of that and. And it doesn't bother me at all to know all of all of your financial history. It's just, it's just God. that like I never expected like, hey, Adam, want to start a Star Trek podcast? Would lead to, uh, hey, um, <laughs> so fiduciarily, <laughs> I need your permission to <laughs> share our W twos with some fucking home lender. 
I think for that reason, today's short treks really came at a nice time because they are, this is one of the questions I want to ask you uh, as we begin the conversation is, I wonder what age group these short treks are aimed at. Yeah. Uh, Because it felt like a good opportunity to just sort of sit on the floor in front of the TV and watch some cartoons. Totally. Uh, Do you have a strong feeling about which one we review first, Adam? The order I watched them in was The Girl Who Made the Stars uh, and then Ephraim and Dot. But I'm looking at the season order for Short Treks and I realize now that that is the opposite order. Yeah, they. I, I don't know if I don't know if one of them came out one second before the other or what. But uh, let's do it in the official order. I think that's Ephraim and Dot, right? Okay. Yeah. I. Yeah. I. Uh, I also watched it in the wrong order. Apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck us, right? Yeah. So why don't we begin by talking about Short Treks episode four, Ephraim and Dot. This starts in a sort of like. 1950s uh, science instructional film style, like uh, like you would see in a in an elementary school classroom in the in the atomic age, right? And uh, I don't know why it would have this tone. It's kind of it's kind of like the the same tone that a lot of stuff has in the Fallout uh, video game universe, where it's sort of like. Uh, nostalgic for for the atomic age, but this isn't really like like a tone that you would have in a in a Star Trek era thing, right? Like an elementary school kid in twenty two sixty five wouldn't be watching somebody go take, for example, the Tardigrade making its way through the stars on a mycelial network. Like, <laughs> yeah, like was the Mid Atlantic accent over like three hundred years before this? <laughs> I know. It's very weird. I really like the tone that it begins with, but what it does is it makes the viewer into a character in the thing, maybe unintentionally and maybe intentionally, right? Yeah. There's a lot of choices in this that kind of perplexed me, but um but yeah, this is uh we, we meet this tardigrade and she has a belly full of eggs. And the case is made that she is looking for a nice warm spot to lay these eggs so she can have her baby tardigrades. And uh, she's, she's burrowing an egg-laying hole on a, uh, in a lump of matter in space when uh, that lump of matter gets plowed into by the entrepreneur. Isn't that what the deflector dish is for? For deflecting? <laughs> Yeah, it seems like this uh, this object hits the the hull of the ship, and the scale seems to shift really radically too. Like, there's the moment where the ship comes out of warp, and then it like zooms out, making it look like the tardigrade is minuscule compared to the ship. But then, when the hull hits it, it's like I don't know, human size. The difference in scale, uh. I have to say the difference in scale didn't really bug me because I don't have a real clear idea of of the size of these things, of tardigrades to begin with. Well, isn't it supposed to be the same type of one as the one on the disco? Yeah, like as Ripper, right? Ripper, yeah. And that was big as hell. That was like the size of a bear. It doesn't seem as though there are size constraints for these things, though. It seems like the sort of thing that would grow to the size of the fishbowl. Oh. 
I don't know. That's just my head cannon. It floats around the ship. It uh, it gets a look in one of the windows where uh, Khan Noonien Singh is uh, waking up, and they actually use the audio from uh, original series episodes to uh, to animate this. This really set the tone for me for the rest of the short. I was totally blown away and and tickled by how they got this to work and how they continue to work this aspect of the story just by using the audio. They probably use audio from half a dozen episodes because yeah. pretty soon uh, one of these little uh, one of these little worker drones that we've seen a couple times in Disco uh, finds uh, the tardigrade outside the ship and starts zapping it, and uh, and the tardigrade winds up falling through a tube into the ship, and then it's kind of a uh, kind of a Tom and Jerry style chase hijinks through most of the rest of the episode as the uh, as the drone is the drone dot or is the drone yes. must be Ephraim. No, the drone is dot. The drone is dot. Yeah. How do you know? Well, I mean, I'm looking at the show notes and it says Ephraim, a female tardigrade looking for a f- place to lay her eggs, constantly spars with an enterprise drone named Dot. Okay, I'm a real idiot. You're not an idiot. That's just, uh, you didn't know. It doesn't say in the episode. <laughs> it's a real uh, Wally and Eva kind of relationship, only without love of any kind. It's almost <laughs> yeah. totally hostile. Yeah, it's if Wally and Eva were Tom and Jerry. But but I make that comparison because one of these things seems to have an emotional capacity and the other does not, right? Right. Like Ephraim is often scared and protective and motivated in a way that Dot is just mechanically assigned a mission to protect and clean up the Enterprise. Right. Ephraim lays her eggs in like sort of proximate to the warp core, I guess, of the ship. Yeah, it's nice and warm in there, right? I guess I guess that's what's nice about it. But uh, but Dot is intent on kicking Ephraim out. That's why there are all those signs in engineering about not disturbing tardigrade eggs, uh-huh. and just letting the mothers and the little hatchlings make their way, right? You know, off of the nacelle. It's like in India, like if a cow walks into a store, nobody bothers the cow. <laughs> It's uh, it's like that for tardigrades in engineering. I don't know, man. I think you need to bother the cow in that context. <laughs> I had been told that. And then when I went to India, I saw a cow stick its head in the back of uh, a tuk-tuk and eat out of a box of tomatoes that some guy was taking somewhere. And a bunch of people like turned around and started hitting the cow with rolled up newspapers <laughs> to get it Whoa. to stop. I was like, oh, this is like maybe that was a little overblown, or maybe I was just in the wrong part of India. I'm not sure. <laughs> the wrong part of India by <laughs> Benjamin R. Harrison. <laughs> uh, and the cover is just a cow being whipped by rolled up newspapers. Yeah. I mean like that that's a it, Hardy Boys mystery that, that I would read. They weren't gonna hurt the cow. They just wanted to stop eating the tomatoes because they were like trying to sell those tomatoes or something. The R. Harrison boys are just one that looks exactly like you and one that doesn't wear glasses that looks exactly like you. (laughs) I would read that book. Yeah. I wear contacts. You know we're going to see the cover of that book out there. I would love to see that in that kind of Hardy Boys art style. That would be rad. Sort of a V.S. McGrath book cover, right? Yeah, I guess so. We know know that stuff is is possible to make. Yeah. V.S. McGrath is capable of... Getting it done. 
I know. What say you, friends of DeSoto? <laughs> There's a moment where Ephraim gets flushed out of the ship and is chasing the Enterprise at warp speed. And uh, and we see images from a number of TOS episodes. There's like a giant green hand in space. There's the Tholian web and uh, giant uh, Abraham, Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln. <laughs> in space. You know, all those things that are in space. And then the battle with the Reliant. We've, we, we come full circle on the Khan storyline within this episode. Yeah, pretty awesome that, that Khan gets two appearances in, in one short treks. Like, does time work differently for the Tardigrade? Is that the case being made here? I think so, yeah. I love the idea that you could never outrun a Tardigrade. Like, as soon as the Enterprise goes to warp, it's like the Tardigrade sort of shrugs and goes, all right. <laughs> I will also go to warp. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. So the final the final battle actually kind of takes place in the in the ship during the uh, the battle scene in Star Trek Three: Colin, the Search for Spock, Adam. It's crazy to see this scene so proximate to our tour about I Star know. Trek Three. It was a real trip. Yeah, you know, like there are being holes being blown in the in the ship, so that enables Ephraim to get back in, and uh, she's trying to protect her pile of eggs from. Uh, this robot, and presumably these eggs have been there for years now, right? It takes a very long incubation period, right? I guess so. But uh, uh, the the robot is successful in finally kicking Ephraim off the ship, and Ephraim is is rushing back toward the ship when the robot, uh, you know, putting out fires everywhere, realizes that there is a big pile of tardigrade eggs. And then here's the uh, over the loudspeaker that self-destruct has been set. And so Ephraim is, is rushing toward the ship when it explode and blows her back. And it's a, a moment of genuine, uh, genuine pathos. It, it, the, the death of her babies kind of washes over her. It's, it's, it's actually, I found myself very affected by this moment. Yeah, and Dot is also fucked up, like he's missing an arm. Yeah, and uh, she goes in to uh, attempt to get a little bit of Rowenge. What does it mean? It means Omata. It means Rowenge. In this moment, because she's pissed that uh, Dot was the reason for all her babies dying. And that's when Dot turns around and says, Oh, no, no, your babies are not as dead as you thought they might be. And also, that was Kirk's fault. Yeah. <laughs> for blowing up the ship. Yeah. That was my home too. Dr. McCoy's like, you did what you always do. You gave us a fighting chance to live while murdering someone we'll never know. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, Ephraim and Dot team up to go kill Captain Kirk. <laughs> do you think those eggs had a chance on the Genesis planet? Like there's a uh... moment there before the Genesis planet goes boom that uh, maybe... Maybe because of the accelerated time that, that the planet lives, they were able to to hatch and live. You're suggesting if Dot had not rescued the eggs from the ship and the ship had gone down on the planet, maybe those eggs would have been fine. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm, I'm playing out an alternate version where where the eggs land on the planet, like so many torpedo tubes. I like that thought. The thing that makes me 
believe it may not be possible is that we see a great big explosion when the ship <laughs> hits the planet. Yeah. It's, it's not the soft landing that is described for the Mark no. Iv torpedo tube. Right, exactly. But yeah, the babies are saved. Uh, the uh, the robot had them in his... Uh, it's kind of like the same kind of character design as Bender from uh, Futurama, <laughs> where uh-huh. there's kind of a a huge cavity inside the robot that seems to be able to contain as big a thing as you need. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> uh, but that's the end of the episode. They they warp off into the wild blue yonder. Unclear about whether or not Doc's body qualifies as having a, a flared base, right? Mm. <laughs> you want to be careful with uh, into what you insert Dot. I really like this ending, and I like that. Uh, I like Dot's transference of mission here. You know, like without a ship to protect. Yeah. What What does he do? He he sort of grabs onto the closest thing to him. Yeah. And that's Ephraim. So, did you like this short trick, Adam? It's really hard to, and and it's going to be difficult to do this for the girl who made the stars too. But I wonder how related the aspect of runtime is to whether or not I can truly like or dislike a thing. Like it's so fast. Yeah. And ultimately like it's very enjoyable. So I think the answer is easy, but also complicated in that way. Like, yes, I liked it, (laughs) but how could I not? It's, it's a breathless eight minutes of itchy and scratchy set in the Star Trek universe. Like, yeah, yeah. But how could it not? Right. What about you? Um, I was a little bothered by the, like, the internal logic didn't seem to line up. And what I mean by that is that they experience several things in real time, like all of the scenes from from TOS where they used uh, dialogue. Like, uh-huh. they seem to be experiencing in real time, but also we saw stuff from every season of TOS and two of the films uh, go by and it was bothering me that both of those things were happening at the same time and I don't know I I, I feel like a curmudgeon but, but I don't think I loved the episode you know what your criticism makes me think is is that might be the reason that I liked it like how how does a dot or a tardigrade experience their life or interact with their universe. Like we know contextually that tardigrades as depicted in Star Trek Discovery are very old, if not ageless. Uh-huh. And if you live that long, what what is time to you other than like maybe a series of vignettes, the way that we experience time in this episode and to dot it, might be the same way. Like, how does a robot experience time? This clock is damaged. Dot seems primarily concerned with its mission. Yeah. And so time might be totally irrelevant to Dot in a way that together might combine to make this story arc feel strangely compressed in the way that that rubs you the wrong way. But I think I kind of dig because it just puts me, it makes me feel what they might be feeling. Uh, wow, I like that read a lot. What I'm trying to say is, 
I don't want to feel time anymore. I want to be more. <laughs> I want to be more like Ephraim and Dot. Yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> this podcast would be better if you did it with Ephraim and Dot. If I were just constantly being zapped yeah. by a robot during, yeah. yeah. Do you want to save our Edward Larkins till the end, and we can pick one from across both short tracks, or do, should we pick Edward Larkins for each short track? Uh, yeah, I could save it for the end. I think okay. that's good. All right. I, that fits neatly into our format for this thing. Yeah. Well, do you want to uh, jump into our next episode? Yeah. The second short tricks uh, of the moment and of the episode is called The Girl Who Made the Stars. This short tricks is also animated, but in a different style from Ephraim and Dot. I'm sure there is a industry jargon for this, but this looks like the more modern version of animation than the kind of Hanna-Barbera-esque cell shade of, uh, of Ephraim and Dot, right? They're both done in 3D, but Ephraim and Dot is sort of is shaded to look like an old-time cartoon, and, and Girl Who Made the Stars is kind of more like Pixar-looking yeah. style. Interestingly, what it's referencing is this parable that is also referenced at the beginning of, I think it's episode one of season two, uh, that that starts on kind of old-timey space footage from like NASA exploring Saturn and stuff, which there's kind of an interesting circle there because that kind of feels like the 1950s uh, educational film opening of Ephraim and Dot. Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if that was intentional or what, but um, this is a young Michael Burnham still living with her biological family aboard a space station, I guess, and uh, out isolated by themselves on this space station somewhere doing space research as her parents are wont to do. It's such a force multiplier to a kid to have a kid afraid of the dark, but have that fear of the dark be about being in the middle of space and yeah, totally, totally apart from anyone who might rescue them if they were in trouble. Yeah. I once was visiting a friend in Eugene, Oregon uh, during college and we smoked a bunch of pot and I <laughs> laid down in the middle of a grassy field at midnight and just like looked up at a much starrier sky than I was used to coming from a big city with a lot of light pollution. Yeah, And I was like super conscious of the fact that my back was on a planet that was like a speck in the cosmos. And I was like really feeling the size of space in a way that I had never like stopped to think about before. Uh -huh. And it really fucking terrified me. <laughs> so I was, uh, I was, I was feeling young Michael Burnham on this. That's a pretty fun trip, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was great. And then he just blasted super hard. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And the molecules of cum went up into the firmament and formed the stars that we now see when we look up at the night sky. <laughs> the teenager who made the stars. <laughs> over and over and over again. <laughs> into a gym sock. <laughs> you know, you're not going to be able to make the stars with another person if you keep making the stars by yourself, Benjamin. Yeah. You got to take a break. You don't want to get the Kung Fu grip syndrome. Where's Benjamin? It's dinner time. Oh, he's up in his room making the stars again. <laughs>
Doors locked. They can only mean one thing. <laughs> Mom, I told you not to come in here. <laughs> I do his laundry. I know how often he makes the stars up there. <laughs> that kid keeps making the stars the way he is. He's going to have to make, do his own fucking laundry. <laughs> You know, Dan Savage recommends you make the stars with a with a lighter grip. Yeah. So you don't yeah. ruin your sensitivity. Yeah, and I mean we make fun of flashlights, but that's a great way to uh, to get yourself used to the amount of uh, of pressure that is actually appropriate for making the stars with. <laughs> that's uh that's that's non-branded content right there. Uh, we we don't get anything for that reference. No kickback uh from the Fleshlight Corporation on this episode about children's cartoons. <laughs> uh, but we do get compensation for all references to masturbation. Yeah. Uh, we are we are supported by Big Jackoff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, uh, they are donating at the $250 a month level at MaximumFun.org. Yeah. They can afford it. Computer aluminum. Michael Burnham has a uh, has a stuffed tardigrade as a as a bedtime companion in this episode. That's a bit of a retcon, right? The wheels of Star Trek merchandising <laughs> move slowly. However, if you don't see a stuffed tardigrade in a online store at StarTrek.com, like I don't know, I don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Do they not want to make money? Come on, John Van Sitters. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Big fans of your work, but I mean, there's opportunity here. Yeah. Opportunity plus tardigrade equals profit. <laughs> That's the uh, fourth rule of acquisition, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So she's had a, a nightmare about the, uh, about the immensity and darkness of space and how she feels scared to just be alone here uh, on this space station. And uh, her dad does that uh, that parental magic trick, which is he comes in and embarks on a story to kind of get her mind off of a scary subject. But this story is somewhat related to the uh, to the nightmare she had, and it's about kind of conquering your fear. This could get cheesy right now. Yeah, but it doesn't. Why is that? Yeah, this, I think it's really well voice acted by Kenrick Green. It's also, I think, well well thought out in terms of what they show and what they tell because mm. the premise is that it's a bedtime story, but they are a little bit elliptical with that. Like, we're definitely not getting 100% of what he would tell her in the bedtime story context because the episode can show that the land that this ancient tribe is cultivating has dried out and is not uh, producing, you know, workable crops anymore. This show avoids a pothole that Star Trek has run into an awful lot, which is whenever it describes uh, history, especially ancient history, especially spiritual history, here come the pan flutes. <laughs> You know, right. and it doesn't it doesn't cheese it up with a bunch of that. It doesn't cheese it up with a bunch of that, and it's also set a hundred thousand years ago in the sort of like I mean, I think like Homo sapiens are thought to have arisen between three hundred and fifty thousand years and a hundred thousand years ago. So mm -hmm. this is like really like dawn of time era for 
humans as a species. Right. Uh, it's it's not quite right for cultivating crops. I think that's a much more recent phenomenon, but it's like a an ancient parable. So it doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to compare perfectly with the established literature. You know. Yeah, and I mean to to write a film paper about television like both of these short tracks are related in that way that it's sort of time irrespective right right and intentionally fantastical because it's yeah it's a it's an old story so they can kind of put the imagery as whatever they want so the the monster that lurks in the darkness that these people are terrified of is a giant snake a giant uh anaconda yeah, do you know the snake got paid more than we did? Oh, boy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the uh, this uh, village of people has the, the problem that their, their uh, early experiments with agriculture are starting to fail uh, because they have kind of over-farmed the land. And uh, this little girl who, she looks very similar to the Michael Burnham uh, in bed, but just in ancient looking, I don't know, like almost Maasai clothing. Yeah. I mean, the girls are so similar and that's the point. Right. And uh, she's suggesting like, hey, let's, uh, why don't we, uh, why don't we wrap it up here? Take it over, uh, take it over the far mountain, start the, start the agriculture up over there. And the village elder basically, uh, you know, tut tuts her and says she's a fool for suggesting something that could potentially Take two days to do. Take a long time to get over there. Can't do that because what you can't do is is be out there in the dark. Yeah. So in the aftermath of her being tut-tutted and condescended to, like we cut to her ignoring the village elder and she's out on her mission. Yeah. And her mission is to save the village. And uh, she's doing it with the help of a single firefly who she captures in sort of like an egg. And that's helping light her way, but it's still getting super dark all around her. And uh, that's when darkness starts to close in. And darkness is represented by sort of like encroaching clouds and also this snake head. (laughs) And she's like on the brink of getting devoured by the snake when uh, reflected in her giant eyeball is is a crashing starship. And uh, she runs to the crash site. She meets a weird alien. Alien thinks she's a uh, a powerful warrior. The alien assimilates her, <laughs> takes her to the cube ship, <laughs> assimilates the rest of the village. Humanity over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Smash to credits. Yeah. But seriously, the alien, uh, you know, shows her a representation of the stars in the cosmos that looks exactly like the uh, the control room in uh, in Prometheus. Right. <laughs> There's even some kind of musical cues in here that reminded me of Prometheus a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but she's given a gift. It's a uh, it's kind of a spherical object that is glowing from the inside. She says goodbye to this alien who kind of like E.T. gets back in his ship and uh, and warps off into the cosmos. And she heads home and uh, now she's in a real heap of shit with the village elder. 
until she cracks open this artifact that she's been gifted, uh, which explodes with stars. They, uh, they're they flowing up out of this thing, and we cut to, in orbit, stars kind of filling the night sky around the Earth. It's pretty great. The idea is that with this knowledge, you can overcome fear. It's a very Star Trek idea, right? Right. Like knowledge is the thing that beats fear. Yeah. And also like cooperation is a solution to a problem because uh, the hero of this story meets up with an alien and together they're able to solve her problem. Her, her problem being the fear that her people have. Right. And extending trust being also a big part of that. So this is sort of the end of the story, but uh, the, the the coda is that that girl grows up to be a uh, a queen and a warrior, and uh, the final image is of her as, as an adult uh, shooting a bow into the mouth of the night beast, the, the giant black snake. Yeah. So what happens when the snake's dead? We don't know. I don't know. I would have thought that the the stars would have killed that snake. You know what we don't get at the end here is the village elder looking like an idiot. (laughs) Yeah, stick it to that asshole. That's not a very, like, that's not a nice Star Trek way to gain knowledge. Like, that's kind of against the vibe of the whole thing. You don't drag the people that held you back. <laughs> Piece of shit. That's, that's an Adam Pranica thing. That's not a Star Trek thing. <laughs> I suppose so. Uh, I thought it was interesting that the queen did not seem to be styled to look like Sinequa Martin Green at all. She she was just kind of a kind of a different character. Did she become the village elder? I don't know. She definitely has the same hat. Yeah, maybe that's what happened. Like, maybe that's the comeuppance that I crave. Maybe she fed him to the snake. That's what you get for holding this back. You get constricted. <laughs> I would have loved young Michael Burnham to go, like, a queen? We hate those. We live in an egalitarian society. Societies with social stratification are immoral to us. Why would it be good that she became a queen? That means she was standing on the necks of poor people. Little Sonequa Martin-Green uh, brandishes a phaser and tries to re- to relieve the village elder from command. <laughs> I wish it hadn't come to this, but yeah. I see no path forward. <laughs> Did you like the short treks, Ben? There was a lot I liked about it, like the last one, but I also, I don't know, there's some stuff that bothered me about it. The queen thing kind of bothered me. Um I might have just had a hard time getting into kid mentality and enjoying Mm. this on that basis because I do think that these were kind of an experiment in being stories for children. Well, that, I think, connects to the question we had up top at the beginning of the show. Who is this for? And do you think maybe that they aren't for you? I do think that they're not for me. I I I think they're emphatically for kids. And I think that that's... A really interesting choice. I'm I'm actually super pro that choice. Yeah. As a like, if star, if Short Treks is the sandbox where we really explore the Star Trek as a place idea, which is the best version of Short Treks in my opinion. Like, do weird shit like this. Like, try everything. Like, yeah. don't don't constrain yourself at all. And yet, like, that's so like counter to the way we've been taught to think about television shows. Like, if Short Treks is a show. Like, 
it's really weird that one episode would be totally inappropriate for children and the next episode would be like specifically targeted for children. Wow, that is an interesting point. Following up on your thesis, you could call Short Treks not a show. Yeah, right. It's kind of not. It's like it's like a part of the CBS All Access app that has some little short films in it. Yeah, it is really different from anything else on television in that way. Yeah. really like it for that reason. I liked both of these short treks, and I think it was because I had a little easier time just like letting go, letting mm-hmm. go and letting cartoon. <laughs> I agree with you that that like this this sandbox, I hope they I hope they keep this going. Like yeah. and I hope we get short treks as Picard's happening, as Discovery season 3 is happening. Like s- sprinkling these throughout the series that we get over the years, I think would be really fun to enjoy. I hope, I hope this is a growing catalog yeah. of, of things to watch. These make me think that we're totally in for times where a short trek will be set in the TNG era or like on deep space nine or something like they can do anything. Yeah, they really can. And I hope they do. That would be amazing to go back to DS nine or enterprise D times. Right. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Well, Adam, uh, do you want to see if we have any Priority One messages in the old Greatest Discovery inbox? Why, those things are what keep this show going. That's true. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Ben, we have one Priority message only. (laughs) It is to Jamie James. The boy's so nice, they named him twice. Wow. It is from Christmas One. Message goes like this. Happy 40th, you glorious nerd. From watching TNG in my parents' basement 26 years ago to watching TNG in your basement now, we certainly have evolved. (laughs) Maybe in 26 years, I'll have a basement and we can muse about how far we've come while we watch TNG. All my love, buddy. Wow. Hey, that's pretty nice. That's really nice. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to everyone listening. Holidays coming up. I would recommend that everyone in our viewership find a basement to hang out with. Uh, yeah. With a buddy. And if you can find a Christmas one, that's pretty much perfect. <laughs> you can get yourself a Priority One message over at MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Personal messages like the one to Jamie James are $100 and commercial messages are $200, both of which are a great way to support the ongoing production, the ongoing and unending production of The Greatest Discovery. You know, Adam, I really agree with that. I really agree with that so much. (laughs) I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from... What am I going to have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals? And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. 
Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? I did, and my Edward Larkin for this episode is uh, is Sulu. I really feel constrained because he's he's that was the Sulu from the Naked Time, the episode that inspired the Naked Now, which is the episode that Jim Shimoda came from, and Jim Shimoda is whose job got taken by Edward Larkin. God, <laughs> I'm. Our, our periods are synchronized, Ben. We've been doing the show together too long. That was uh, reading from my own notes. That was almost exactly what I had as my Edward Larkin as well. Awesome. So, yeah, the headwaters of the Shimoda slash Larkin experience. Uh, you get to experience those here. Fun. In Ephraim and Dot. So, wow. We need to take a break from doing the show so we can have some... <laughs> Some different ideas about things. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> I don't mean that. Yeah, we just keep agreeing with each other for 45 minutes. 
No one listens to this show for that. No. Um, well, I think that just about does it. Uh, do you want to talk about this next short tracks that we saw a promo for real quick? Yeah, it looks like uh, some vignettes of bullying and then hand-holding, and then that is it. It is very, very short little promo. It's it's like a 10-second promo for the next short tricks. But uh, yeah, two girls in, in school, and one is being a real jerk to the other one, and then the other one gets her comeuppance, and then yeah. they're holding hands. Then they're pals. It's called Children of Mars, and that episode of The Greatest Discovery will be coming out the week after that Short Treks premieres, that Short Treks is uh, coming out on January 9th. Yeah. The very next Greatest Discovery episode is going to be uh, the continuing series of Star Trek Picard comic books. Yes, and uh, that will be uh, getting us ready for the new series, which starts really, really soon now. Yeah, almost here. Pretty exciting. Almost here. Can't wait. Uh, well, I think we should probably leave it with Rob's from here. What do you say, bud? Yeah, let's do it. Thanks, Robs. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted by Benjamin Harrison and Adam Pranica. It's produced by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Friend of DeSoto and YouTube sensation Adam Ragusia. The Greatest Discovery is made possible by the support of our listeners like you. Make sure the show continues by going to MaximumFun.org slash donate. If you'd like to discuss the show online, please use the hashtag GreatestDiscovery. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR, Adam is at CutForTime, and I'm at Rob K. Schulte. Thanks, we'll see you on the next episode of The Greatest Discovery. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.